Go for the pulse and the pools. Go for the ooze and the ahs. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to the Philly Sports Power Hour on this wonderful Monday morning. I don't know how wonderful it is with the news coming out of Camden with our 76ers and Joel Embiid. We just can't seem to win in this town over the last year and a half. And we talked about it last week on the Power Hour. I went through all the heartbreaks over the last year and a half, dating back to the World Series in 2022, Super Bowl 57, the National League Championship Series, the Philadelphia Union, if you're a soccer fan, the 10-1 and start for the Eagles. We could even go back to the Sixers' second-round exit again. Just one thing after another. And now Joel Embiid in the middle of a historic season. We get the news he's going to need surgery on a displaced flap of the meniscus in his left knee. So I want to talk some Sixers talk today. I know we spend usually a lot of time on our Eagles. And we'll we'll talk some Eagles today. But we're going to spend some time talking about the Sixers, what they should do going forward. Because we also have the trade deadline coming up. How aggressive should Daryl Morey and the Sixers be right now at the trade deadline, not knowing when our man Joel will be back. So we'll talk about that. I also want to talk about the six-year anniversary of one of the greatest days in all of our lives. I know it was one of the greatest days in my life. Super Bowl 52, six years ago yesterday. Can't believe it's been six years already. But I want to talk about Super Bowl 52, talk about some of the underrated plays in that game, some of the plays that a lot of us completely forget about because there were so many great plays in that game that a lot of times we forget about some of these under-the-radar plays that happened in Super Bowl 52. So we'll get into that. Some more coaching hires in the NFC East coming down. Eagles get their quarterback's coach, Doug Nussmeyer. We'll talk about that as well. And we'll talk some Pro Bowl games. Confession, I didn't watch a single second of it, other than what I saw on Twitter and Instagram, some highlights. I didn't watch any of it. And we also have to talk about Apollo Creed. Carl Weathers passes away over the weekend. More sad news for the city of Philadelphia. So we'll talk about that as well. 
But I'm Bill Calarulo. This is the Philly Sports Power Hour. I appreciate my Power Hour crew who's here in the chat. Let's get a little roll call. And we are live not only across the Jacob Sports Network, but we are also live across all my social platforms. So make sure you're following both. Make sure you're following Jacob. Make sure you're following me everywhere. You're subscribed to me everywhere as well. But let's get a little roll call. I see Teresa Pascarello in the house nice and early. Rob from Temple. Invincible. Flexin and Steppen. William Stark. Kyle. Wine Niners Wine. Stan Bruce. Appreciate the kind words, my man. Bry Guy. James Jones, Claw, Billy Spuds. Who else we got in the house today? Brian Lippincott checking in. I see people checking in on Instagram, checking in on TikTok as well. So let's jump right in. We'll start with our Sixers talk. So without Joel Embiid this season, the Sixers are 4 and 10. Now, the only thing that makes me feel a little bit better is I think Nick Nurse will be good enough as a head coach to now knowing that you're going to be without Joel for an extended period of time to be able to start to change the offense a little bit. Because rightfully so, the offense ran through Joel and Bede. It should run through Joel Embiid. It's one of the most dominant big men scorer we've ever seen in the NBA. So when he was out for a game here or a game there, it was tough to change your entire offense. So I think that's part of the reason they were 4-10. and 10. Joel also missed a lot of games where other players missed a lot of games. Just look at Ben Simmons' return on Saturday with the Brooklyn Nets. Sixers get crushed. But not only were they without Joel, they had no Tobias Harris, no DeAnthony Melton, no Nico Batum, no Robert Covington. So I'm hopeful that now that Nick Nurse knows Joel is going to be out for an extended period of time, that he'll be able to change the offense up a little bit. I think he's a good enough coach that he'll be able to do that. So I don't think that 4-10 and record without Joel so far this season is really indicative of what you're going to see down the stretch. Now, I don't expect them to dominate, but I do expect the Sixers to win enough games over the next couple of months to get them into the playoffs. Now, whether that's the play-in tournament, or a seven or eight seed. We'll see. But now there's a lot of question marks around this season. What should the 76ers do now? Do you try to rush Joel Embiid back? So everything I'm seeing on this injury, and we will hear more apparently from the Sixers after the procedure is done, But everything you're hearing and seeing from doctors on Twitter and things like that, actual doctors, because I know everybody has a medical opinion. But everything you're reading and seeing from actual doctors is the recovery time for this type of injury. I'm seeing it as short as four weeks. I'm seeing it as long as 10 to 12 weeks, 
depending on the extent. Well, the playoffs in the NBA start in about 12 weeks. So is it possible that Joel is able to get the surgery, get his rehab done, stay in game shape, and come back in four to six weeks and still have a couple of months to get himself ready for a playoff run? Possible. Now, should they do that? That's a whole other question. Because if you saw the reports from Wojnowski saying the door isn't closed on a Joel Embiid return this season. But should it be? Should the Philadelphia 76ers basically make a decision and say, if we don't think that we can get out of the East, what's the point in rushing Joel back? Because as the team is currently constructed, even with a healthy Joel, I don't think they beat Boston in a seven-game series. I think they would struggle in a seven-game series against Milwaukee, even with Doc Rivers as their coach. Can they beat the New York Knicks, who are playing well? Can they beat the Indiana Pacers once Halliburton is healthy with Pascal Siakam now on that team? I'm not even sure they could beat the Miami Heat. I know the Miami Heat aren't playing great, but we know they turn it up to a different level come playoff time. You also have the Cavaliers. So if the 76ers don't believe they can get past these teams to make it to an NBA Finals, what's the point in rushing Joel back? Now, there's a big caveat in there. And that's, there's the trade deadline coming up this week. So are the 76ers going to make a move to bring in another piece that they think, with a healthy Joel Embiid, and with Tyrese Maxey continuing to grow, that they can get out of the Eastern Conference. But here's where it's kind of a catch-22. Because I only want to see them make a move if we are 100% confident that Joel's going to get back to being Joel Embiid. That Joel's going to get back to the guy we saw the beginning of this season. Because if you're not 100% sure that Joel can get back to that level of play, why make a trade at the deadline? Why get rid of these assets and maybe the cap space that the 76ers finally have? Because when they made the trade for James Harden, we had nothing. We couldn't make any moves. There were no assets. There was no cap space. And the best thing about them moving James Harden at the beginning of the season is we finally had some flexibility now. The Sixers finally had some assets and flexibility that they could go big fish hunting. Maybe this offseason. So I don't want to see the 76ers make a move just to make a move 
and take away that flexibility this offseason, especially if Joel is even 10, 15% of a question mark that he's going to get back to being Joel Embiid this season. I'd rather see them shut it down, hold on to our assets, continue to develop Tyrese Maxey, and then let's go big fish hunting this offseason and bring in a third star to get us over the top next year. Because I don't even know who they would make a move for now at the trade deadline. One of the names that was constantly getting floated around was Zach Levine. Well, now he's out for the year. So that may be a blessing for Sixers fans because I don't think the Sixers were interested anyway. But if they would have made a move for Zach Levine with that contract that he has, there goes all of our flexibility out the door. So one of the other names that's rumored that they're interested in is DeMar DeRozan from the Chicago Bulls. Do you want DeMar DeRozan? If you're here in the chat, let me know. Would you want to see the Sixers make a trade for DeMar DeRozan? He's 34 years old. He'll be 35 next season. Now, he is a six-time All-Star. He has proven to be a scorer in this league. But his play has certainly declined. There's no denying that. Now, is his play declining because he's old and he's getting older? Or is it because of what's around him in Chicago? Probably a combination of both. Because the expiring contract thing is what makes me nervous. Because if you're making a trade for DeMar DeRozan, you better be sure that you're going to be able to sign him for a reasonable deal in the offseason. I don't want to see them give up assets for a rental this year when we don't know if Joel's coming back at 100%. And if you're even going to be able to get past some of these teams we talked about earlier, even with the DeMar DeRozan, do you think the Sixers would be good enough? Let's assume Joel comes back healthy. You have Joel, you have Tyrese Maxey, you have DeMar DeRozan. Are they good enough to still beat these teams in the East? I don't know. I just don't know. Now, some people want DeJounte Murray from the Atlanta Hawks. Add a piece, another scorer. I just don't know if Embiid, Maxi, and Murray or DeRozan is enough to get you over that hump to get out of the East. And I only want to see Daryl Morey make a move if it guarantees that this team can now compete with some of the best teams in the East. If not, I'm saying sit tight. Keep our flexibility. Keep our assets. See what happens with Joel's health. Don't rush him back. And let's go big fish hunting this summer. We'll see what happens. We'll learn more, hopefully this week, after the procedure.
but just another frustrating, disappointing season for the 76ers. It's almost like this franchise is cursed, man. With all the things that have happened over the years with the Sixers. Like, what is going on? I've never seen an NBA championship. I'm sure a lot of you here in the chat have never seen an NBA championship because there hasn't been one since 1983 in Philadelphia. It happened about a week before I was born. Never seen it. I was there for every game in 2001 watching Allen Iverson and the run that they had but couldn't get over the top. They ran into one of the best teams we've ever seen in the L.A. Lakers. But just frustrating, man. We are starving for an NBA championship in this town. Now, we are still starving for a Super Bowl, even though we had one in Super Bowl 52. Six years ago yesterday, Super Bowl 52. And I keep thinking to myself, what the hell would we be doing in the city of Philadelphia right now if Nick Foles and Dougie P and Zach Ertz and Alshon Jeffrey and even Nelson Aguilar didn't deliver us that Super Bowl? Could you imagine what we would be feeling right now as a fan base in this city? If that championship, if Super Bowl 52 went the other way, my God. Because that's the only thing I keep holding. Every time something happens, I keep thinking, at least we have Super Bowl 52. At least we have Super Bowl 52. And I did my radio show this weekend on 97.5 The Fanatic, and I had a caller call in and said, the reason that we are experiencing all this heartbreak over the last couple of seasons in all sports is because we sold our soul to the devil for Super Bowl 52. We sold our soul to get that one championship, and now we're in for a decade of heartbreak. Now, I don't know what he's basing that on, but I'll tell you what, if that was the case, I'd still sign up for it. Because Super Bowl 52 was the greatest day of my life as a sports fan. It was amazing. It was absolutely incredible. Talking right now about it here on the Power Hour, I'm still getting goosebumps, man. Still getting goosebumps thinking about that game. And I was lucky enough to be in the building. In Minnesota, it was cold. In Minnesota, thank God it's an indoor stadium. But it was cold as hell in Minnesota. But not only because the Eagles won, but maybe one of the best Super Bowls I've ever watched. What a back-and-forth game. If you like defense, that wasn't the game for you. But what a game that was. And I want to talk later about some of these underrated plays that a lot of us forget about because we all remember the big plays. But before we talk about Super Bowl 52, I want to talk about our man, Carl Weathers, who passed away over the weekend. 
Now, most of you remember Carl Weathers as Apollo Creed. Some people remember him in Predator, Action Jackson. A lot of people remember him as Chubbs from Happy Gilmore. Some great roles. But for me, look, being an Italian kid, okay, whose parents grew up in South Philadelphia, who were around high school, freshman year, and college age, when the original Rocky came out, of course, it was my dad's favorite movie. So when I was born in 1983, I grew up with the Rockies. I mean, I can't, I was so young, I can't even tell you the first time I watched a Rocky movie. I just know from the day I was born, I grew up with Rocky and Apollo Creed. And some celebrity deaths hit you harder than others. For some reason, this one hits hard because I feel like I've known. Carl Weathers, and Apollo Creed my entire life. Watching him be the enemy in the original Rocky, the enemy again in Rocky II, and then him transitioning in Rocky III to being his trainer and his friend. And then you grow to love Apollo. And then Rocky IV with Ivan Drago killing him in the ring. Man. Now, a little trivia question for you guys and girls. A little trivia question, if you're here in the chat. How many times did Rocky and Apollo fight? A little trivia. Only the real Rocky fans will get this one. How many times did Rocky and Apollo fight? Give you guys a second. Man, you got... My Power Hour crew is good. We got Done to Shields, not to be mistaken with Tone to Shields here on Jacob, saying three times. Steve Patton saying three times. Teresa Pascarello saying three times. Flexing and stepping three times. Big D three times. You guys are good. Even other ones. Now, Kyle saying it. Mo saying it. Aiden saying it. You guys are good. That is a little bit of a trick question. Because you ask a lot of people, well, how many times did Rocky and Apollo fight? And the knee-jerk response, oh, well, they fought twice. They fought in the original Rocky. Apollo wins by split decision. They fought in Rocky II, and Rocky wins the belt. And that's it, right? Well, it's a trick question. Because if you remember in Rocky III, when Apollo is training Rocky, he keeps asking him, you know, what do I owe you for this? He says, I'll tell you after. I'll tell you after. And at the end of Rocky III, Apollo tells him what he wanted, and what he wanted was one more fight. So at the end of Rocky three, it ends with Rocky and Apollo in the ring, both throwing a punch. Now, Rocky four starts. Rocky's got a black eye. His son asks him, who gave you the black eye? 
And he says, a friend. He says, oh, who gave you the hat? Same friend. Now, some of you in the chat are already talking about, well, who won that third fight? Who won the third fight that nobody ever saw? And I saw Kevin in the chat, or Kyle, excuse me, already say it. But who won the third fight that nobody knew about between Rocky and Apollo? See if anybody else gets it. People are saying Apollo won. Now, to know that's the correct answer, but to know that Apollo won, you actually have to now go all the way to the first Creed movie. When Adonis shows up at Adrian's, the restaurant that Rocky owns. And he says to him, I heard there was a third fight that no one knew about. And Rocky's confused as to how he knows that. And then he tells him he's his son, and he asks him who won, and Rocky says, he did. Apollo did. Man, I love the Rocky franchise. I know there's some people out there who think they should have just stopped after the original Rocky. But I just keep consuming it, man. I just love the Rocky character. I love every movie. Even Rocky V that absolutely stunk. I'll watch it with Tommy Gunn. But, man, we lost a good one. And then loving Apollo Creed and loving Carl Weathers, it was awesome to then see him play Chubbs in Happy Gilmore with Adam Sandler. Another great character to see Apollo and Carl Weathers in a comedic role. And I know a lot of people didn't know this, but Carl Weathers actually played professional football before he became an actor. Actually, he was acting while he was playing professional football, but obviously had a lot more success as an actor. But rest in peace to Carl Weathers. We'll never forget Apollo Creed. We'll never forget Chubbs. Man, some of them hit harder than others, and that's one of them. But when we get back, we're going to go back six years ago to Super Bowl 52. I want to talk a little bit about that Super Bowl. And I want to talk about the forgotten plays. Everybody remembers the big plays. I want to talk about some of these underrated plays from that game. So stay tuned, guys. This is the Philly Sports Power Hour. I'm Bill Calarulo. Hit that like button. Hit that share button. We'll be right back.
Any professional sports coach will tell you there's no substitution for preparation. At Malamut & Associates, that is a tenet by which we live. We prepare from day one for victory. Anything less is not acceptable. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go first! Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. Go first! And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their Fantasy Pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday, watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game, and the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. What's up, everybody, and welcome back into the Philly Sports Power Hour. I'm Bill Calarulo. Appreciate my Power Hour crew spending this hour with me Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Always look forward to spending this hour with everybody. I see all my peeps in the chat. A lot of love for Carl Weathers. A lot of love. Before the break, going through some of my favorite Carl Weathers roles, obviously, Apollo Creed, number one. Chubbs, number two. But there's just so many great scenes between Apollo Creed and Rocky. And Sylvester Stallone posted over the weekend on Instagram a little tribute to Carl Weathers. And he talked about how the success of Rocky would have never reached the level it did without Carl Weathers. And I agree with him. As great as the Rocky franchises are, Apollo Creed was such a phenomenal character that really helped that movie and that franchise reach unbelievable levels. There were so many great characters, though. Not only Carl Weathers as Apollo Creed, but Burt Young as Paulie, Burgess Murdoch, as Mickey, I mean, they just did such a good job casting that movie. Love Rocky. I'm going to have to go back and watch him again. It's been a little while. I don't think my fiance Bridget's here in the chat anymore, but I'm going to say something that a lot of you people are going to be like, well, how could you marry her? She had never seen Rocky. 
So, of course, I forced her to watch the original Rocky. And I think we got through Rocky 2, but I got to get her to watch the rest. So, if Bridget's here in the chat, you let her know how ridiculous that is. That she had never seen the Rocky movies. So I may force her before our wedding day. We're going to watch Rocky 3, Rocky 4, Rocky 5, Rocky Balboa, Creed 1, Creed 2, Creed 3. Marathon. But rest in peace to Carl Weathers. So I want to get into Super Bowl 52. Because I think we need it. It's been a rough two years. It has been a really rough two years in this town. And I'm getting from my producer, Xander. Rocky 3 and Rocky 4 are the best. 4 is his favorite. So growing up, now that I'm older, and I go back and I watch the Rocky movies, Rocky, the original, clearly the best movie from a movie standpoint. Oscar worthy. But growing up as a kid, Rocky 3 and Rocky 4 were my favorite. Loved Ivan Drago in Rocky 4, but I loved Mr. T as Clubber Lang and Hulk Hogan as Thunder Lips in Rocky 3. As a kid who was a WWF fan at the time, to see Hulk Hogan throwing Rocky Balboa around the ring, calling him meatball. Oh, man. And Clubber Lang, you ain't so bad. Man, I can't wait. I'm going to force Bridget to watch Rocky 3, I think, tonight. We may have to watch Rocky 3 tonight. Such a good movie. But we've had a rough couple years. The death of Carl Weathers adds to the sadness we've had. So let's go back and remember an unbelievable day in Philadelphia sports. To me, and I don't think this is an overstatement, the greatest day in Philadelphia sports. I know there were Stanley Cup championships back in 74 and 75, the World Series in 1980 and 2008, the NBA Finals and that championship in 83. But six years ago yesterday, 2018, when that clock struck zero on that Hail Mary pass from Tom Brady getting knocked down in the end zone and hearing Merrill Reese say, Philadelphia Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you, still gives me goosebumps. Still brings goosebumps. And there were so many amazing plays from that game. So many of them. LeGarrett Blunt's 21-yard touchdown run. Unbelievable run. And a lot of us forget. You remember the beginning of that season? The first couple of games, people were thinking, should they cut LeGarrett Blunt? Does he have anything left? And then he really came on strong. And what a pickup that turned out to be by Howie Roseman. And you guys know I've been getting on Howie Roseman for the moves he made this past offseason because I felt like every single move Howie Roseman made this past offseason was a miss. But, man, did he hit on every single one. 
before the 2017 season. LeGarrette Brunt, Chris Long, turned out to be great pickups from the New England Patriots. But LeGarrette Brunt, Blunt's 21-yard touchdown run, we all remember that one. Alshon Jeffrey's 34-yard touchdown grab. Foles puts it up. Jeffrey goes up in the end zone. Great catch. Touchdown. I think that was over Eric Rowe, too, wasn't it? Former Eagle, if I'm not mistaken. Obviously, the Philly special. Everybody remembers the Philly special. On fourth down, one of the best play calls in Super Bowl history. The Corey Clement catch, 22 yards in the back of the end zone, has to be reviewed. Gene Serratore, did he lose control? Oh, he never lost control. Touchdown. Man, I'm getting all excited. I got to watch that game again, too. Obviously, Ertz's touchdown to take the lead also gets reviewed. He's leaping forward to the end zone, gives them the lead. The Brandon Graham strip sack of Tom Brady. Incredible. But those are all the plays that we remember. But there were so many plays that are underrated that we forget. I'm going to talk about some of them. But there's one that I think is the most underrated play from Super Bowl 52 that I don't think gets talked about enough. But these are some of the forgotten plays. Before the Philly special, who remembers the wheel route to Corey Clement? Catches it, breaks a tackle, gets it all the way down inside the five. But for that play by Corey Clement, the Philly special never even happens. Forgotten play. On the drive where Zach Ertz scores the touchdown to take the lead at the end of the game. Who remembers the fourth down conversion? Brian Lippincott taking the words right out of my mouth. Fourth and one. Foles under a little bit of pressure. Has to roll left to get it. By some time, he's about to get sacked. Boom. First down. Keeps the drive alive. Malcolm Jenkins' big hit on Brandon Cooks. Setting the tempo. Knocking Cooks out of the game. Malcolm Jenkins. I think we are starting to appreciate Malcolm Jenkins more in this town. But Malcolm Jenkins was one of the best leaders this Eagles organization has ever had. If you remember, and we really go back, to the year they signed Malcolm Jenkins, he wasn't the big-name safety that everybody wanted that year. And I'm drawing a blank on who it was, but there was another safety. And Howie Roseman makes the decision to sign Malcolm Jenkins instead of this other safety, and it didn't get received with a lot of fanfare. A lot of people wanted the other safety, and I'm forgetting who it was. But Malcolm Jenkins turned out to be one of the greatest safeties and one of the greatest leaders we've ever had. And I see people talking about Weapon X. Nobody's on Dawkins' level. Brian Dawkins is on a level unto himself. But Malcolm Jenkins, I think he's starting to get appreciated more, but was one of the best leaders 
a great safety on this team. But that was a big hit, sets the tone. Another one involving Brandon Cooks was Rodney McLeod stopping him on that, I think it was an end around in the red zone. Big play. Tom Brady dropping the Patriots version of the Philly special. You remember that one. These were some underrated plays. We all remember the big plays, but these were some underrated plays. But I'm going to tell you, and if you follow me on Instagram or TikTok or Twitter, you already saw my video yesterday where I told you what I think is the most forgotten, underrated play from Super Bowl 52. And let me set up the scene. Brandon Graham just gets his strip sack. At that point, a lot of people thought, it's over. Eagles recover it. They don't score a touchdown. If you remember correctly, fourth down. A minute and five seconds left. Eagles are only up five. And rookie Jake Elliott has to come out to kick a 46-yard field goal. At that moment, in that game, with everything on the line for a rookie kicker, who we now know is the most clutch kicker we've ever seen, so of course he made it. But we forget how big of a kick that was. If Jake Elliott doesn't make that 46-yard field goal, Tom Brady gets the ball back near midfield with a minute left in the game, only down five. To me, that is one of the biggest plays of Super Bowl 52 that gets forgotten. Jake Elliott's 46-yard field goal with only a minute and five seconds left to make it an eight-point game. Huge kick. Jake the make. As clutch as they come, man. But to me, that's the most forgotten play of Super Bowl 52. If he misses that kick, I think Tom Brady wins the game with a touchdown. The way the Patriots offense was playing that day, getting the ball around the 40-yard line with a minute left in the game, the GOAT only down five. We wouldn't be sitting here today talking about all these great memories. So Jake the Make, in my opinion, the most underrated forgotten play from Super Bowl 52. Man, thank God, I said it earlier, thank God we had Super Bowl 52 because I don't know if I'd be able to sit here right now and handle the last two years we've had in Philadelphia with all of the heartbreaks between the Phillies and the Eagles and the Sixers and the Philadelphia Union and now the Flyers who were supposed to be this great story, overachieving. Now they've lost five in a row, all the drama around Cutter Gauthier, Carter Hart. Thank you, Doug Peters. Thank you, Nick Foles, Nelson Aguilar, Brandon Graham, Malcolm Jenkins, Jake Elliott, Zach Ertz, 
Alshon Jeffrey, Torrey Smith, Corey Clement. Man, the list just keeps going. Thank you. Because but for Super Bowl 52, I don't know where we would be as a fan base right now. But that was six years ago. And now, how far are we from getting back? How far are the Philadelphia Eagles from being a contender again? And we're going to spend a lot of time over the next next few weeks as we get ready for free agency, which is only about a month away, which is incredible. That's the beauty of the NFL now. There's really no offseason. We got the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. We'll talk about that later in the week. And then there's about a month to get ready for free agency. And then another month, it's the draft. Pretty awesome. But how far are they from getting back to being a contender? There's going to be a lot of question marks on both sides of the ball. We'll talk more about that this week. One of the questions I posed on the radio this weekend, and we'll talk about this probably tomorrow here on the Philly Sports Power Hour, is who needs to have a better 2024 for the Eagles to get back to being a contender? Is it Nick Sirianni or is it Howie Roseman? And if you follow me, you know how I feel about Nick Sirianni coming back. I was in support of him coming back. But who needs a better 2024 to make this team contenders again? And I want to talk about that tomorrow on the show because I think that is a really important question for us to dive into. And we're going to need a lot more than just the next 10 minutes. But you look at this Philadelphia Eagles team, bunch of pro bowlers playing in the Pro Bowl games. I didn't watch a minute of the Pro Bowl. I know. I'm supposed to. I get on here to talk about sports, and I couldn't even force myself to watch the damn Pro Bowl games. But from what I hear, it was actually a little entertaining. I did watch some highlights floating around on social media. But from everything I hear, it was actually entertaining. It was fun to watch. And I did see some clips of Jalen Hurts, and I will admit a lot of fans have said this, and I agree with this. It was nice to see Jalen Hurts smiling. It was nice to see Jalen Hurts loosened up a little bit, having some fun on a football field. Now, I'll say this, and I actually tweeted this out yesterday. The highlights I saw of Jalen Hurts, I think can put to rest All of the chatter that Jalen Hurts' knee injury was a lot worse than the Eagles were leading on all year. You guys heard that chatter. Everybody heard that chatter that Jalen Hurts' knee, you're going to hear in the offseason, there's probably going to be some sort of procedure. He's probably going to need surgery in the offseason because that knee injury was probably worse than they were letting on. Didn't look like it yesterday. Looked like he was moving around okay especially on that play where C.D. Lamb does the double pass back to Jalen Hurts, and he has to jump up to try to catch it, ends up falling, missing it, 
He looked like he was moving around okay. I would think, and I would assume, that if Jalen Hurts did have a knee injury that was going to require some sort of surgery in the offseason, you would not have seen him running around at the Pro Bowl games like he was. So I'm going to be shocked if we hear that Jalen needs some sort of procedure like a lot of fans and even a lot of media was hinting they thought was going to be a happen. was going to happen. It didn't look like it to me. So I don't know if that's good or bad because I've had some people, I tweeted that out yesterday, and I had some people talk about, well, that doesn't give an excuse then on why Jalen Hurts' play regressed because I think a lot of people were saying, oh, well, it was his knee. But I firmly believe, and I'm not completely absolving Jalen Hurts, Jalen needs to play better next year. But I do firmly believe that a lot of the problems that we saw with Jalen was a result of the play designs and the game plans and the play calling by Brian Johnson and Nick Sirianni to an extent. So I'm hopeful that Kellen Moore and now the new quarterbacks coach, what's his name, Doug Nussmeyer? Is that his first name? Yeah, Doug Nussmeyer, who was with Kellen Moore last year with the Chargers, was with Kellen Moore for a few years with the Dallas Cowboys, is going to be able to get Jalen Hurts back to playing at the MVP level we saw a year ago. I'm not buying the narrative that Jalen Hurts is just a running back, that he can't throw, that they paid him too soon. I'm not buying any of that. We saw this guy play at an unbelievable level one year ago. We saw what he could do when he had a great play caller in Shane Steichen. And I'm confident that under Kellen Moore and under Doug Nussmeyer, that you will see Jalen Hurts back to an MVP level this coming season. And let's not forget, when I say back to an MVP level, before that last seven games of the season, where the Eagles lost six of seven, he was the favorite to win the MVP. When they had their 10 and one start, Jalen Hurts was the odds on favorite to win the MVP award. So for a majority of the season, I know we all want to sit here now and talk about how bad Jalen Hurts played. And yes, it wasn't great at the end of the year. Through the first 12 weeks of the NFL season, he was the odds on favorite to win the MVP again. Not again, he didn't win it last year, but he was a favorite in 2022 as well. So I'm confident that you're going to see my man Jalen get back to that MVP form that he's been. Jalen, baby. Anyway, tomorrow on the Philly Sports Power Hour. Hold on. We got a big question coming in here. So Timothy Shabazz. Do you think we're truly extending Reddick? This team can't afford emotional signings just because they've been here for so long. Great question, Timothy. And if you guys tuned into the Fanatic this weekend, that was a big talking point for me that Reddick is a guy that I am very concerned about. I also posted this on my social media channels last week. 
Everybody talking about A.J. Brown, that's overblown. A.J. Brown's not going anywhere. But Hassan Reddick is a guy that I am concerned about. And the reason I'm concerned about Reddick is we already knew he wasn't happy with his contract before this season. He felt like he was underpaid. He has an annual value of about $15 million. Well, you look at guys like T.J. Watt and Miles Garrett, not saying Reddick's on their level, but if he thinks he is, they make $25 million, $30 million a year. So we knew Reddick wasn't happy with his contract going into this season. Well, now, not only is he not going to be happy with that contract, the Eagles aren't going to be happy with that contract because we know Howie Roseman loves to backload the cap hits. So when they signed Hassan Reddick to that three-year deal, they put the big cap hit in the final year of the deal, which is coming up. So in 2023, Reddick played on a $6.9 million cap hit. That balloons this coming season to $21.8 million. There's no way the Eagles want him back if it's a $21.8 million cap hit. Now, unlike A.J. Brown, and this is why I think it's ridiculous that people are talking about the A.J. Brown trade, if they did a post-June 1st trade of A.J. Brown, they only save $1.8 million. If they do a post-June 1st trade of Hassan Reddick, they save $16 million against the cap. That's why I'm concerned. Now, what I'm hoping happens is that Hassan and Howie agree to an extension that keeps Reddick here and lowers that cap number. But my fear is if that if Reddick says, hey, listen, there's only two players in the NFL who have 11 or more sacks in the last four seasons. It's me and Miles Garrett. I want to be paid like Miles Garrett. Well, I don't think the Eagles are going to pay him like Miles Garrett. That's my concern because I don't see Reddick back under his current deal. So they have to agree to an extension. And I just hope that they can come to a number that both sides are happy with. Because I do think we need Reddick. I think if you would have saw Nolan Smith come in this year as a rookie and absolutely dominate, they would have felt like maybe they could let Reddick go. But we still don't know what we have in Nolan Smith. And I see my man Big Sills in the house. Jalen can't lace Tyrod's cleats. He also said, hold on, I'm looking for Big Sills. $255 million running back. Now, I know you all love Big Sills. I love Big Sills too, but I disagree with you, Cilio. I just don't think that what you saw in 2022 can be ignored. This guy was playing at a phenomenal level. What he did in Super Bowl 57, we've never seen before at the NFL level. So I think we owe it to ourselves to relax a little bit here. Let's see what Jalen Hurts can do with a good offensive coordinator again. We saw what he did with Shane Steichen. And then Brian Johnson takes over the offense, a guy who's never called plays at the NFL level. You watch the games. Zero answers for the blitz. So I'm not ready to say Jalen Hurts is only a $255 million running back. But like we end every 
Philly Sports Power Hour with a little today in sports history. Well, on February 5th, 1969, Vince Lombardi became part owner, vice president, general manager, and head coach, not of the Green Bay Packers, of the Washington Redskins. A lot of people forget, you hear the name Vince Lombardi, we forget that he was the head coach of the Washington Redskins, their general manager, their vice president, their part owner. Now, sadly, Lombardi passed away during the 1970 preseason. So he never really had a lot of time with the Washington Redskins. But a lot of fans in Washington credit him with changing the culture during that one season that laid the foundation for the success they had in the early 70s. But yeah, everybody hears the name Vince Lombardi. We all remember him with the Green Bay Packers, but we don't remember that he did do one year with the Washington Redskins. But guys, this is the Philly Sports Power Hour. I appreciate all of you spending this hour with me. Stay tuned right here on the Jacob Sports Network. You got Sports Take coming up right after me. And then you'll get Big Sills, who's already in the house, taking shots at my man Jalen Hurts. You'll get him at 2 o'clock. And then we'll keep doing the legal hands to the face show. I think we're going to roll that tonight at 6 p.m. So make sure you're following me on all your social media platforms. We'd love to hear from you guys and girls. I always say you guys. I mean that generally. But I'd love to hear it from everybody on social media. Engage with me on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and everywhere you are. But hit that like button on your way out. And I will see you guys here tomorrow, 10 o'clock, on the Philly Sports Power Hour. I want to spend some time, and we'll do this tonight on the Legal Hands of the Face Show as well, right here on Jacob and right on all my social platforms about who needs a better 2024, Howie Roseman or Nick Sirianni. I'm Bill Calarulo. This was the Philly Sports Power Hour. See you soon. Go for the polls and the pools. Go for the ooze and the oz. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com.